morning we come before you as a body of believers. Lord, those who know you and walk with you and celebrate you, Lord, in our lives, we worship you every day. This morning, Lord, we bring our worship together. This body of believers that loves you and follows you and wants to be obedient to you. Lord, that wants to call you our God, which we do. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, which he is. Oh, Lord, hear our hearts this morning as we pour them out before you. And, Lord, as we go into your word, Lord, I pray that you will just take any part of us that's not right and just remove it. And, Lord, we can just leave it behind, leave that baggage at the door and come to hear you and meet you, Lord, in your word here. Lord, whatever we do in all that we do this morning, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible there in front of you, you want to turn it to Hebrews 9. Uh, We're still in Hebrews. Has this been a good for everybody? Have you enjoyed reading this? This is is one of the least preached books in the the Bible because a lot of people get all hung up on it. It's too Jewish, right? Remember when we started this thing, I said, keep your Old Testaments near you because you want to. They understood what was being said here because this was actually preached to the Hebrews by Hebrew. So a lot of things in here are very Hebrew. They're very Old Testament. And so I said, keep, keep the Bible there. But let me tell you something that we do know as believers on this side of the cross is that Jesus Christ is in every page of the Old Testament. God gave us the Old Testament and all those rules and all those things that we kind of roll our eyes about and everything. Let me tell you what, they had purpose. And you know what? They represented Jesus Christ. You may have never read it that wrong that way. Maybe you never looked at, at, at you know, all these rules in Leviticus. All of those who are, are following on our Bible reading plan together, how did you do this week? Had all those rules. You know what? And today's is all about how to, how to handle uh, uh, leprosy and, and, you know, and all those things that we don't ever think about, right? There's purpose in that. There's purpose in every word in the Old Testament. So as we read this this morning, I'm going to uh, ask you to read it along with me if you have your Bible there in front of you. But look for Jesus in here. And if you don't find him, I'm going to help you here in just a minute. Because we're actually talking, at the very beginning of this, we talk about the old, the tabernacle. And uh, I know those of you who are reading through the scripture, you read this last week. You saw how everything was built, everything in that tabernacle. It was just full of silver and gold and, and incredible embroidery and, and, and uh, uh, all kinds of things that just no man could have done. And yet God enabled men to do it. He gave special intelligence, special gifts to guys to do it and to lead them. And it, it, it was so good reading that this week. I don't know if you notice it, but, you know, we take an offering once a week. Well, those guys back there, they were taking up the offering every day. And finally, they had so much stuff that Moses says, stop. Don't bring any more offerings. We can't handle it. Isn't that cool? I wish we had that problem here. You want to take up the offering again? No, no, it's okay. Turn with me to Hebrews 9, if you have it there in front of you. And I'm going to read it. It's a little bit long here, so stay with me. Uh, and then we're going to just talk about what this is and how we see Jesus in it. Hebrews 9.1. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an er- earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and consecrated bread, 
This was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covering of the Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Hmm. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on the ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this way the way into the most holy place, and had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, eternal regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as high priest, of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Oh, God had blessings of the reading of his word. Isn't it interesting that the writer of Hebrews has told us about this new covenant? So we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And the ultimate covenant, so what he's been telling us about, with the perfect priest, you know, we talked about all that, and who offers a complete sacrifice for God's children, a completed one, a finished one. So interesting that he begins with a summary in verses 1 through 5 of the tabernacle. Everybody know what the tabernacle was? Everybody here? Let me tell you, okay, those who don't, the tabernacle, when the children of Israel were wandering around in the desert, um, God, they were just now, God is appearing to them. They'd never really seen how God is in his power. I hadn't seen him in a long, long time, about 350 years. And so here they, are, here they are out wandering around in the desert, and God's in front of them with this big pillar of fire. And they're following that. that that make me believe, wouldn't you? But God is giving them the rules of how he is to be worshipped, how he is to be noticed, how we are to come to him, how his children come to him. So he made something that they absolutely had to pay attention to, and that's the tabernacle. It's a place where he was going to reside among them. And they were to go into the tabernacle or come near the tabernacle and offer all of their sacrifices. You see, God requires 
at least back then, said, if you're going to come near me, you're going to have to give something up. I'm perfect, and you're not, so I'm going to have to know you really mean it, so you're going to have to give up something that belongs to you. We had walked out on him back in the garden. So he says, if you really want me, you want to know me, I want to know where your mind is, you have to come to me on my terms. Worship me so that you know who I am. We'd forgotten. Human beings didn't know who God was, really. Fallen away from him. So he's going to show them. He is mighty. He is awesome. He's unapproachable for those of us who have sinned. But God made a way. And he's teaching us, and he gives us this tabernacle for us to come and worship him. So here's the thing. We don't really know about the tabernacle right now, do we? Uh, how many people here can answer? Can tell me all the details of what you just read as you were reading through Exodus? Anybody here? I want to volunteer. It's hard. And how they practiced that back then, we don't really even understand. Now, the Jews do. They still have their, their uh, thing. They have the, the Yomah, which is part of the Midrash, which, which shows them how to execute all this stuff that they don't have anymore, the temple or the tabernacle. But I want you to go with me, if you will. Now, you have to understand, I'm married to a fiber arts artist. And when we were reading through this together, I tell you what, it's just incredible to see how they, they made all the parts that go in it. And for those of you who are, 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 have a wood shop, work in a wood shop, or anything like that, do anything with your hands, it's incredible the detail and everything that was in this. No man could have done it. Because you see, the wood parts were all covered with gold. That's a neat trick, isn't it? And everything else is either made out of solid gold or solid silver. It, it's just, it's incredible what it, but I want you to close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. I want you to close your eyes and, and, and walk with me as we walk through the tabernacle. Now, I tried to write all this down. It's just way too long. We would have been here way past the Super Bowl. So I said, okay, let's, I'm just going to try to summarize it. And I've taken some of these descriptions in the way some other men tried to do it and they failed. But just go with me here just a minute. The tabernacle was what they had to be able to pick up and carry, like a big place to carry as a walk through the desert. They did that for 40 years, so I guess they got pretty good at it. It was a portable tent shrine, and it was always situated at the geographical center of the heart of all the Israelis, so they could all see it. Remember, they had people posted on the north, east, west, and south, and all the different tribes divided up, so they could always see it. And God residing there, they could see all the, the power and uh, all of that anyway. And so here, we're going to go into outside of it. First of all, it was a, it was a big tent. Um, it was 150 feet long. It was um, 45 feet wide, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet tall, all covered in perfectly white linen. So Everybody knew where it was and they could see it. And that white was God's purity. So here we're going to go inside this tent of, of where God's purity resides. And we find ourselves immediately in front of this altar of burnt offerings. Now let me tell you about that. This is somewhere a lot of people kind of close up their Bible and walk away because the altar of burnt offerings is where they brought their sacrifices, their offerings. And they tied it to the horn of the altar, which is where they tied up their animals who were going to be slain, because you see, God had already said, life is in the blood. So it's life for life. So if you want to give me your life, you know, as human beings, all we have is life, blood, don't we? The life is in the blood. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You know, Jesus said, die for me daily. 
and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Oh, here we go. Jesus is talking about your life in this earth because the spiritual life that he gives you as a new creature in Christ is forever. Amen. And when you know that, then you don't worry about all this stuff. But let's, let's go back here to the, to the, um, this, they have this large bronze altar and with a horn at each end of it. And let me tell you what, so we bring all our offerings there. That's as far as you and I can go. No one else is beyond that point except for the priests. Because they've been designated to take our offerings and take them to God. So we can't go any farther than that. But beyond that is, uh, is this laver at the tabernacle where the priests wash off before they go in. And here's the thing. Only they can use that laver. And they have to wash up. And if they don't, they could die. Because God says you have to be pure and clean and be prepared. Your whole body be prepared before you come before me. And this, this, so that's going into the next part of it, the, the outer temple or the, or the holy. And it's covered with three layers, this beautiful embroidery. I can't even imagine how they did it. But the, the warp and the weft is pure and fine. And then they embroider all, all the, the cherubim on it. I can't even imagine doing that because, you see, this thing is big. It's huge. It's like three stories tall. And they, they, it's all covered. Okay. Are you getting this? This is amazing stuff, isn't it? And, and, and it's, it's, they use blue, purple, and scarlet yarns of real fine linen. Uh, have you ever worked with that? You know how that feels, and it's tough. And, it, and uh, if it's done right, it really feels good too, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. That's another story, another time. Um, and, and, the, they, uh, it's, it, and then the inner side is divided into two parts, two different rooms. Um, and uh, and that, that had an ornate wool veil that hung between it. Very strong, though. The temple into the most holy, that, that veil, they said was so, I read several places that said it's so strong, they could take a team of oxen, two team of oxen, tie it in the middle, and they couldn't rip it. It's pretty strong stuff, several inches thick. Uh, a lot of them believe it was. But what's really interesting is that when you read over in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two. Only, only way that could have gotten torn in two was by God. We'll talk about that again here in just a minute, too. And then there's this, uh, then, uh, okay, look at verse 2. In, in the first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And then the lampstand was made of solid gold with um, three branches springing from either side and each of its seven branches supporting this flower-shaped um, lamp holder. And the, ta- and the table, sometimes called the, the table of uh, presence, had 12 loaves of bread, always fresh. Not like the back table back there. Always fresh. One, one from, from each tribe represents Because, let me tell you this, the bread of life is always fresh. Yeah. And there was one for each tribe, which represented all of God's children at the time, didn't it? Okay. Um, and the, these first things are, they're so prophetic of Jesus Christ, everything on every table, every part of it talks about, about Christ. The, the, um, the, the consecrated bread prophesied Christ's words, I am the bread of And that's what we're talking about here, right? Okay, just in John 6, 35, you want to look at I can't give you all these. I had like 40 different references here. If you want to see me afterwards, then we'll do it. Um, 
He's a true spiritual sustenance of his people. as the bread of life, right? And then, then in verse 3, we see just a glimpse of the Holy of Holies. It says, just a glimpse of it, of what's inside the Holy of Holies. Remember, only one man could go in there once a year and then for just a few minutes. But here's what is, how it was built. Behind the second curtain, verse 3, behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and golden-covered Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark contained the gold jar of manna, any Aaron staff that had budded, the stone tablets of the covenant, and above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement of cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail, right? Yes, we can as believers in Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you what it is. The, the location of the, uh, by the way, if, if you read this, I hate it when I read these commentaries and these scholars are all trying to argue over some little some, some of them say, oh, well, it, it was on the inside of it. This, this table was on the inside of the Most Holy of Holies. Some say it's on the outside. You know what? In Jesus Christ, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Because the veil's been rent. It's been torn in two. And Jesus Christ goes in and out of the Most Holies for you and me forever and ever. He sits right now at the right hand of God for you and me. If we come to him and receive his forgiveness. Hmm. But the cover of the ark, listen to this, the cover of the ark, it's, that speaks to me the loudest about Jesus Christ because it was at the mercy seat that, that the, the gold plate covering of the ark where the blood of the atonement was, was uh, spread. Jesus Christ's blood is the reason we have all this mercy. Uh, Romans 3.25 tells us Christ displayed publicly as a propitiation of, our sin, of his blood. Now, I love those big words, don't you? Propitiation. It's got to be German. You have to spit it. Propitiation. Propitiation actually just means God poured out all of his anger so that to cleanse someone coming before him. You and I could never do that. Anybody here think they can stand God's wrath? You wouldn't last a nanosecond. Jesus Christ did it for us. And it was his blood that's represented here that spilt on the on the mercy seat. Oh, Jesus Christ died for our mercy before God the Father. Keep going here. Um, even more important. Okay, Jesus fulfilled the contents of the ark. All of it. Remember we just read that list a while ago on the ark? Listen to this. He perfectly fulfilled the stone tablets of the law. Jesus says, I came to fulfill the joy. Not every jot and every tittle. Jesus fulfilled it all. That's right there in the Ark of the Covenant. Huh, isn't that amazing? And, and um, um, oh, and Aaron's staff budded when it, when it confirmed Aaron as the high priest. Jesus Christ is blooming right now and alive today before God the Father for you and me. And the, and the, the, uh, the manna, you know what manna was, right? In Hebrew it means what is it? Manna was what came out and, and fed them while they were in the desert. But you had to get it, or the rot, it turned to worms. Remember that? The manna in the Ark of the Covenant never rotted. Jesus Christ is our bread of life. He's our manna. That's where we get all of our nutrition. And it's always alive because he's always alive. You see this? Jesus is in every word, every sentence of the Old Testament. Amen? Boy, why would we not want to read this thing? Okay. Everything we see here, it's glorious. It's all glorious. The cherubim of the glory, you know, they're, they're golden. They're looking down with their wings attached in awe of the mercy seat where Jesus Christ 
Mm. All heaven and earth looks to Jesus and is amazed. It's glory. Everything here says glory, doesn't it? Glory to God. So now that you have kind of a feel for the tabernacle, you want to go back and reread all that in Exodus? It means a whole lot, doesn't it? Jesus is in every word. It's prophesying that Jesus is the one who's going to save us. You can start to feel a little bit about what it was like. It was a daily worship thing, and and that's the thing. Uh, We worship daily. I hope you worship daily. I hope as you walk everywhere you go, you're worshiping. These people worship every day. You know what they were doing? They were bringing their worship to the the worship center, I guess, and they brought their sacrifices to the great bronze altar. And each week, priests were chosen by lot. There were thousands of priests. But if you were lucky... And you, and, you, and, the, and you know what the lot was? They used these, what we call the holy dice. They were the Urim and the Thummim, and they would cast those. And, and so if you were really lucky, you got to serve in the holy, in the holy place. You got to go behind there. And um, matter of fact, they would, their whole career, they would just live for one week. They served seven days. So they would go in and just to serve and, and be there. And, and that's where they tended to the seven lamps they had to keep burning Remember Revelation? Jesus spoke, preached to the seven churches. and called them the lamps, the lampstands. They had to be lit all the time. That was the priest. And those represented what? You and me. Um, and they kept the coal stoke on the altars of incense and, and they, dropping handfuls of incense. And you know what incense represents, right? That's the prayers of the saints. You read that in Revelation. You read that all the way through the Bible and the Old Testament and everything. So the prayers of the saints. Here the priest is supposed to keep the prayers going and the offerings going and the light lit. Let me tell you, you know who the light of the world is right now? Jesus Christ. And you know where he's shining his light? Right here. You are the light of the world. We're here to share the gospel and to share his light with everybody. The priest keeps that going. Who's our priest? Jesus Christ. Okay. See how this works? Here's the thing. And these people, they brought the fresh bread in every week. And if they were lucky enough to be able to serve there, they got to put the new bread in, the fresh bread in, and they got to eat the old fresh, old bread, because that's what they were called to do, they were allowed to do. Um, but here's the thing. While these priests are serving in there, they're right next to this, this veil, this holy of holies. They wouldn't even glance at it. They wouldn't even turn their heads to look at it because no man could go in there and live unless he was chosen by God. There was no access to God. Sad. Sad, isn't it? Ministry in the Holy of the Holies was the domain of one man. One man only. That was the high priest. And if he was lucky enough to be the high priest, whoa, what he had to go through just to go into that place, that Holy of Holies. He had to live a perfectly consecrated life. And the week before he was to go in there, seven days, he left his house and he went into preparation. Um, And that meant, I think, all day and all night, practicing what he's going to say because he says the wrong thing before God. You know, he had to do it exactly right. He was the only one who had access, and he was only in there for a few minutes. 
couldn't stay in there very long. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel would get so worried that if he was in there too long, they'd actually tied a cord around him, put bells on his robe, making sure the man's still moving and living, and they would pull him back out if they thought they would have to pull him back out if he died. But the people, when he went in that one day of the year, all the people would gather around everybody, and they would just wait in anticipation. And if he was in there too long, they started to fret and get really upset. They would worry. It was a big deal. It only happened once a year and then for just a few minutes. And what he had to do before he went in there, of course, was take all these holy baths. I'm not going to go through all that stuff. I actually read that. And then the Yoma tells you how to do all that. He read all these, these holy baths. And he has to be exactly right. His mind has to be right. His body has to be right. He gets dressed right. All these things. Only so he can go in and be with, with God for just a few minutes. And when he did come out, the children of Israel would, would have a big party. And you know Why? Not just because he came out alive, but because now their sins are forgiven. They knew that they were forgiven because God said they were for a few minutes. Hmm. Not so good, is it? What's going to happen with that if you, if you don't really know that God has forgiven your sins forever and ever? You're going to wander around the world with a lot of guilt, bad conscience. They had that problem. A lot of problems with that, that method, isn't it? All of this preparation, all of this holy place, all of these, all these designated people and their lives and everything given, it's so great, isn't it, to see how God is and how we have to approach him. And he's made all this method so we can see and we can know. But it wasn't enough. Was it? Forgiven for a few minutes? Wasn't good enough. We need to be forgiven forever. How are we going to do that? It was inadequate for two reasons. I said because it has limited access. You and I couldn't go. Nobody could go. And it had limited effectiveness. Didn't last for very long, did it? Hmm. You know, and we can see that too right here. Look at verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered daily into the outer room to carry out their ministry. The priests, they're humans. You know, great, my, my priests went in for me, and, and I've been, I've been I'm, my sins are all gone here for a little while. But let me tell you what I know is going to happen to him. He's going to die. Who's going to go in next time? Who's going to do that? You know, and as lay people, we had even less access. You and I would. All we could do is take our, our favorite bull and take it up to the altar and have it slaughtered. That's about it. And you know how they slaughtered them? Here's something I missed a while ago. You know how they slaughtered these bulls? If you, had a, you take your bull, your favorite animal, something that's really important to you, you take it up to the altar, you tie it to it, it's going to be sacrificed. You're giving it up for the Lord, but it's for your sins. So... You, had to, you would go up and you would lay your hands on the bull so that your sins are transferred to the bull and then it dies with your sins. Whoa, what happened with Jesus? Ah, we'll come to back to that one in a minute. There's no direct access to God, is it? Look at verse 7. 
but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This point's pretty clear here, isn't it? Throughout the ages of the Old Covenant, there was no direct access to God, period. But inadequacy of the access to God under the old system was exceeded only by the limited effectiveness. Didn't last very long, even when it did. Mm. The blood sacrifice that the high priest offered only covered the sins of ignorance. Here's another problem. Look at that. He said, according to verse 7, that there was no provision in the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system forgiveness for forgiveness of premeditated sins. Well, now we're getting home here, aren't we? Now we're really starting to hurt, didn't it? Think about getting even or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And th- those were called the sins of the high hand. That's the way it actually tra- translates out of Hebrews. And there was no remedy. If you committed a sin... From premeditating, if you premeditated and thought about it, there is no remedy. Nothing provided for in, in the Old Testament. Numbers 1530 is unequivocal, but anyone who sins defiantly, and that literally means with, with a high hand, whether native born or alien, blasphemes the Lord, and the person must be cut off from his people because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his commands, that person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. Well, this hurts, doesn't it? This Old Testament stuff really does hurt. And, and let me tell you what, the premeditated sinner had a huge problem. There's no way out. Remember David, remember David after he premeditated the murder of Uriah and committed adultery? Um, it, I mean, he cheated, he lied. He did he pretty much covered those. Take the top ten, David pretty much got all of them there. It's a real short time. But this is what Psalm 51 is all about. David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it to the Lord. You should read it sometime. If you haven't read it lately, you should read it regularly. David knew he was a sinner, and he confessed it. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, he's talking to God himself. Against you and against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak of just and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. And he knew there was no sacrifice he could bring to appease God. So what did he do? Do you remember what he did? Here's what he says, Psalm fifty-one, sixteen: You do not delight in sacrifice. He knew he couldn't bring anything to the altar, horns of the altar in any way. You do not delight, delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. What could David do? He's before his God. He's the king, King David of Israel. What could he do? All he could do was come to God and confess. Because the next verse says, The sacrifices of God are a contrite, broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you that you will not despise. I hope that speaks to you. If you think you've, you've you premeditated sin, you said no to God. You know what He wants? 
a broken heart. Because he takes that broken heart and he makes it into a heart that he can love. And he teaches that broken heart how to love him in a right way. A contrite heart and a broken heart. That hurts. Hurts sometimes and we're so caught up in that sin. We even thought about it. We think about it all the time. You know what? Give your heart to God and no matter what happens, he has the right to kill you. But he gives that up when you give him your heart. Jesus on every page, folks. And let me tell you what, the limitations of this old system, the old covenant system, goes deeper than that. Because since only sins of ignorance were forgiven, no one could have a completely clear conscience. Couldn't have any. Couldn't walk away and feel good about yourself for more than, what, a few minutes? Look at verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order. Hmm. The faithful users of the old system were forgiven for their sins of ignorance, which was no small thing. Most likely, uh, some people had less premeditated sins than others. Yeah, I don't have as many as I used to. Anybody here that way? Yeah. But a clear conscience was beyond their reach. Never could have a clear conscience, remembering those old sins. They hadn't died. They'd just been taken care of for a few minutes. The old system was deficient indeed, wasn't it? So the limitations of the Old Covenant were really, really big. Limited access, limited effectiveness. And you know what? Average folks like you and me were just several layers away from that priest who could even go in for just a few minutes once a year. But Christ's unrestricted access, unlimited effectiveness, his complete and total. Look at, look at verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, it's not a part of our creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. <laughs> Jesus Christ didn't have to slip into the to the... Uh, holy of holies did he he didn't have to slip in before God he didn't have to have anything tied to his ankle to make good and sure he's going to live through he already had conquered death when he went in he already gone through that veil that veil didn't exist anymore and instead he came with his own precious blood once and for all that had been sacrificed and then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father sat down the high priest could never stand up. He sat down by God, his Father, because he's already saved us. There is no more sacrifices to be made for all those who follow him, who have received his forgiveness. And you know what? He sat down by the Father, and guess where he's going to be forever and ever? Right there. Why don't we just place our faith in him? He says, come to me. Place your faith in me. 
I've already paid for all your sins. Yeah, it may hurt a little bit while you're living on this earth. But you know what? You're going to be with me forever and ever. Everything was foreshadowed by the tabernacle and what we see there. And let me tell you what. As we keep on reading through this Bible, every page you're going to find Jesus Christ. God's sacrifice. God wanting us back. But you have to read it. You have to sit down with him and let him teach you. Um, everything we saw, the laver, the candlestick, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, and the tabernacle itself, white, pure, in the middle of us all, in plain sight. <sighs> Here's the thing. There's even more. You know, like a TV commercial. But wait, there's more. There's a whole lot more. And that's the unlimited access we have to Jesus Christ. Hmm. There is no limit on it. You think there is. To make it clear, a reminder of the, of the, of the built-in limits of the old system. Look, with, look with, with me at verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. You know, just doing the things, looking like we're doing it, uh-uh. That only cleans the outside. I took a bath this morning. You know, I'm glad. You know, I bet you are too. But that's just the outside. That's just the outside. Is the inside clean? There's only one way for the inside to be clean, and that's Jesus Christ and coming to him. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You can have a clear conscience if you want it. All those sins that are behind you, you can actually put them behind you. And your conscience can be clear. And you may tell you what, that offer is not coming from this pulpit. It comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said in the very last book of the New Testament, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let him in? And when you let him in, you receive his forgiveness, which is, covers all sin. You receive his forgiveness, and you follow him. You'll want to. You'll want to follow him, and you'll want the world to know it. If you don't know how to do that exactly, I want to read you a story. And this is this, I'm, it's short. It's a testimony of a man who was... Um, head of the Church of England at one time. But while he was coming to that point, he made this testimony. He said, I was reading with Bishop Wilson on the Lord's Supper. I met with an expression to this effect. This is a little while ago, so you have to bear with me on the English. They're very stuffy over there in Britain anyway. That the Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. I came upon him reading this very scripture. And he said, a thought came to my mind, what? May I transfer all my guilt to someone else? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on his head? Then, God willing, I will not bear them on my own soul one moment longer. Accordingly, I sought to lay my sins upon the sacred head of Jesus Christ. If you understand who Jesus is, God's son, he came here to die for your sins. And he says, embrace me. 
lay your hands on my head. Give all your sins to me. I will take them away. That's his promise. So what do you have to do to be saved? Let him in. That's all. You place your faith in him and in him only. Nothing else. Just Jesus Christ. And he says, come. I'm waiting. I stand at the door and knock. Hmm. You know, if you can do this in your mind's eye right now, place your hands in front of you. And imagine placing your hands on Jesus and giving all your sins to him. He takes them away. He takes them away by his blood. This is the new covenant, folks. This is the new covenant in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And let me tell you what, in him, we have unlimited access You can come to him all the time because he sent the Holy Spirit that lives in you. If you ask him to do that, and he will, and he never leaves, he'll always be with you. You have to keep your eyes on him because I don't know about you, but I live in a world that's just full of distractions all day long, 24-7. But Jesus Christ is my salvation. I place my faith in him. You don't have to worry about that. Those distractions are going to go away someday, but Jesus won't. And he takes you in. All you have to do is receive his forgiveness. Think of that access. You know what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, having placed your faith in him, that access is yours. And it's now. It's not sometime in the future. It's now. We just finished reading Ephesians. I'm, I want to listen to this out of, out of Ephesians 2, 6. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. And the heavenly remains in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Oh, if you haven't, place your faith in him. Give him your life. You know what? You may have people make fun of you or make people think, oh, man, you're crazy. Or you become a fanatic. I've heard them all. You know what? I am a fanatic of Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Throw something at me if you want to. I place my faith in him. You can shoot me. I don't care. Nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing. Not sword, not nakedness, not death. I already said that in sword. Not you know anything. Nothing can separate you from Jesus Christ. He's God. He's God's Son. And He sits to the right hand of God right now. We're gonna sing together. We always have a uh, a response to our Lord. If your response is to come and give your heart to Jesus this morning, do that with us. You have people here. None of us can save you. Only Jesus can. But let me tell you what, we'll walk with you. We'll walk with you the whole time, all of us looking together to Jesus Christ. So if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, I would say first you need to do that personally. If you're someone here this morning that that wants to walk with us, you want to come and join us, um, come and uh, present yourself to us. And and, uh, I think you're going to find a lot of people that want to walk with you. We're going to um, 
sing together this hymn of response. And I'm going to ask you to come as the Lord leads you. And uh, would you stand? And let's just give this to him. Lord, I pray this morning that as we sing this hymn of response to you, that you will be glorified. Lord, you will be known and hearts will be poured out before you this morning. Lord, all for your glory in Jesus Christ's name. Let's sing together. You guys want to?